I was expecting to end with a little joust between the two of you. No verbal banter, nothing. Just McGee's very quiet here at the it, end. I pick my spots. We were little. We were little moved by your um, your clothes. Uh, I think um, I'm, I'm I'm a tiny bit emotional now, so I, I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure I could even muster that up unless you know Tim wants to instigate something, which he's he can do very quickly. Well, let me just say that my co-host fans sincerity as 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 well as anybody I've ever worked with. John, you you were insightful. You were articulate. Um, but it didn't elicit emotion, right? I didn't, I didn't get verklempt, right? Listening to your advice as David claims to have gotten. Uh, yeah. Well, Welcome to wait, what? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. This is the podcast where we take a unique look at the business of sports Sometimes cynical, sometimes irreverent, and on occasion even serious. I'm your co-host, David Paro. And I'm Tim McGee. So we are well into the fall classic. Live Golf and NWSL capped off their seasons this past weekend. The XFL has announced its team's names, finally. (laughs) And we are inching closer and closer to World Cup 2022 in Qatar. And this weekend may have been the craziest ending to a NASCAR race ever or any race for that matter. All of those things are important, but not as important as what is on your mind, Tim. (laughs) Well, I I am sold, David. (laughs) Over five new playing surfaces manufactured or or completed per day. 13,500 facilities worldwide. Over 1.1 million people using the primary app to schedule events and keep scores and so forth 50,000 subscribers to the pro tour golf uh, pro tour media network Um, and uh, their events get over 2.5 million views on youtube are we talking about pickleball it sounds like we might be well we are not we're talking about disc golf <laughs> so, so what you're what you're saying is you just taught you you were able not to talk about pickleball by referencing something against pickleball that might yeah. be your most brilliant one yeah <laughs> my 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 long-winded point and hopefully i do have one <laughs> disc golf when, when nobody talks about disc golf this is tremendous growth but you don't talk about disc golf because it's not it's not the sport of the future. It's not the next great sponsorship or media opportunity, despite having fantastic numbers. So why are we continuing to have to hear about how great pickleball is? I will say this. There's some great content out on disc golf. You see some of these shots that people, you know, from however long these these guys launch these things. Uh, but, yeah, it does seem that disc golf gets kind of dissed along with cornhole a bit. Yeah, well, I uh, love comparison. Cornhole. Yeah, I love Cornell. Yeah. Um, but let me just say this, right? I, I, I know they don't want to use the term Frisbee. I'll use the term Frisbee, right? They use the term disc. Right. I'm sure uh, that's an absolute IP related. Not reason. It's, yeah. It's, it's not surprising to hear that when you see a dog out in a field, <laughs> they catch a Frisbee better than I do. Right. That's not surprising. Right. What is surprising 
is these dogs can actually throw a frisbee better than I can. So when I see those moments in disc golf, I'm absolutely amazed with the control they have over the disc. It's it's pretty amazing. Right. The um I'm not just and just so you know, I'm not impressed by shots in pickleball. Well, I think that's the point because I've seen some rallies in pick pickleball, but there's no like great shot because they're just basically batting a wiffle ball back and forth, an oversized wiffle ball, mind you. Yeah. But um, and it's going click, click, click. Um, the uh, you know, draining like a three hundred, you know, or two hundred yard um disc into those chains, it's a pretty cool sound. I think they can make something of that. If if Pickleball wants me to come on as a fan, I will quote the inimitable Larry Bud Melman, who was on with David Letterman for many years back in the 80s and 90s. You want to call it a sport? Give them sharpened snow shovels and let them fight to the death. <laughs> then then you've got me hooked. But don't play don't play paddle ball with an oversized wiffle ball and then try to tell me what a great sport. Listen, is. we've been known on this show to, you know, launch launch new sports and series so who knows maybe next week we we have we we, we have we have i must have missed um, that episode right yeah you did i think there was that one that i snuck in <laughs> but um you know who knows maybe listen if if we hear about investment in disc golf um, frisbee golf disc golf although i was always partial to ultimate frisbee by the way i thought that was that was a sweet game did you get your Did you get your beyond down at, yeah, uh, at, at Wake Forest? <laughs> oh, listen! I know you were you were rocking that on either the lacrosse practice field or in that awesome quad at Cornell. I'm sure too. But um, we did we did play a little yeah. bit of ultimate. Yeah. But all right, there has to be. A, well, that's a, a potential business story. But you got any anything else you want to cover in the well segment? Yeah, the uh, Kaka storm that is the Brooklyn Nets. Let's talk about them. I mean, where where do we start? Right? They announced Joe Sy announced today that he was firing Steve Nash, despite the team winning last night. Um, you know, the team has not gotten off to a great start, uh, but the team has not addressed the issue of Kyrie Irving. Uh, for those of you who haven't been following this story, Kyrie Irving, the Nets star guard. Uh, came out um, with some pronouncements that were blatantly anti-Semitic in support of a movie which is anti-Semitic. Um, I don't know which is worse, his comments or the fact that when he was called out on them, um, said that he had indeed watched the movie and still had these uh, opinions about it. Uh, I think it's just... Right, and he's he's leaning a little in on his First Amendment rights now to to be able to have these views. And but, but okay, let's stop. Now, right? Let's, right? Yeah. let's stop right here. Okay, let's. First of all, the First Amendment refers to government censorship of free speech. It Correct. doesn't have anything to do with an overpaid athlete coming out and making anti-Semitic comments. So, so that, and I'm not saying you're making that argument. I'm just saying that argument is completely irrelevant to this situation. It has nothing to do with government censorship. Yes, he has a God-given right to make an ass of himself. He has a God-given right to be anti-Semitic. It doesn't mean that that uh, free speech that he uh, so thoroughly enjoys shouldn't be without consequences. Absolutely. And listen, Kyrie has been, 
he's been controversial for a while. He has been a problem for this organization, despite his immense talent as a basketball player. Um, his vaccine stance, I think, hurt the Nets significantly. Uh, and I'm not sure what kind of a locker room guy he is. My guess is not not great. And, and this is, you know, when Josiah took over the team, I think there was a lot of excitement um, for what the Nets could be. And they were. They were a toe. They were a half an inch away from going to a championship two years ago uh, when the, the Bucks beat them, when they had Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant all and they had Blake Griffin coming off the bench. And and Blake Griffin. And, and I mean, every, it was just the team that was supposed to win it all. Yep. And they didn't. And they didn't because uh, uh, I think Kyrie was out at that point and Harden wasn't playing at full strength. And they still almost got to the final. That's yep. how good they were. Um, and then um, the Nash situation is seems to be a bit of a surprise but it seems like the the you know after KD and we've talked about that on this show requesting a trade it didn't end up coming through uh, uh they seem to be somewhat on board and the team has gotten off to this horrible start and they fire the coach and then interestingly some news coming out today that the expectation uh is that they're going to be hiring Ime Yuduko uh wait, wait what <laughs> The guy so, who is <laughs> under a season-long suspension in Boston. But it's brilliant for Boston in terms of being able to, because they probably were going to, he probably wasn't going to come back anyways. Yeah. So this was a this was a story that I'm not sure if we talked about, but he was suspended for having an, uh, an affair with a staffer. And right. they suspended him. Uh, they didn't fire him. They suspended him. And uh, so the word out the word out is at least what's being reported is that he is likely going to be the next hire, which uh, and our friend uh, sports attorney Mike McCann has already said this ends up looking like a brilliant move for for Boston because they never will end up having to actually have fired him where they would have had to have a big payout. So uh, uh, just uh, th th this whole this whole scene surrounding the Nets just seems to continue to be. A, and I and I feel bad. I have a dear friend that works at the Nets. Um, that's done a great job there uh, over the years, and it just seems like they they there's always kind of one more thing. And, and the Kyrie situation is just is absolutely ridiculous. I was really excited to see uh, a number of fans uh, that bought themselves uh, onto the uh, courtside seats and uh, wore no room for anti-Semitism shirts um, at the last game. I was like, good on those folks. Yeah, that, you know, talk about your free speech rights. Um, but it'll be, <laughs> right. you know, the, the, I'm surprised the league has not come out and if not punished him, even spoken about it. Right. I know that they asked to make a, a, a statement. I believe he has had a discussion with um, with ownership, but I'm not sure where the I mean, you said it. People have a right to say things that are ridiculous and things that have repercussion. We talked about Kanye last week. I want to say one thing on the Kanye issue that, that that didn't come up. We discussed, because Kanye likes to go by just the letter Y-E now. And and we had a debate. We had a debate. It is pronounced, it's pronounced yay. But you <laughs> but you actually said something funny. It's like, no, he doesn't, he doesn't even, we're not even going to call him by what he wants to be called now. He's just going to be <laughs> Kanye after his performance. But it is yay. 
and everybody everybody's dropping him. He tried he tried to show up at Skechers and they threw him out. He just very, showed up unannounced at Skechers. There there was a very funny skit on Saturday Night Live about that. Yes, there was. If you if you haven't watched it, you should go back and see it. Yeah, it, it's like you know I I guess he couldn't find the address for Keds. I, you know, I don't. <laughs> the, the only thing funnier than seeing that skit on on SNL would have been actually seeing him show up. I, I yeah. somehow there has to be security tape of this. I want to see that. Yeah, you, you know, and listen, he. I think he has some serious mental health issues that we shouldn't make light of. We can make we can make light of some of his antics, right? Uh, but I do, I do think he has some serious mental health issues that need to be addressed for his sake. You, yeah, you may be right, and I don't like to necessarily venture into that because I'm certainly not a, I'm not a. Well, a he has, he has mentioned that. In, he, he has yeah. mentioned that in the past, so I, I'm yeah. not, I'm yes. not diagnosing. Him. But what I, what I'm not going to do is, uh, in matters of such egregious anti-Semitism, uh, you know, if he has issues, he has issues, and if he, and if if in his dealing with those issues, uh, he's able to learn something, then great. But yeah, I'm not going to cut anybody slack on that because no, of, no, you know, uh, explaining behavior is not excusing behavior. Right. A little lighter note. So a lighter note. Something happened. I mentioned it in the intro. Happened this weekend at Martinsville. And for those of you that have been at the to the Martinsville Speedway, it's a, a it's a short track. It's a half mile. And it's crazy. It's it's basically two you know two tight turns and a and and straightaways and drag strips. Um, Ross Chastain made what many people are saying is the most unbelievable racing move of all time. Not just in NASCAR, but maybe ever. And even Formula One drivers seem to have become aware of this. And not only did what he did was coming into the last turn, he put his car on the wall. Now, if you've ever seen Martinsville, you know you have to brake and shift. There's lots of that going on. It's not a car you can go flat out. Mm -hmm. He opened it up flat out, put it on the wall, and zipped around. Made He went from 10th to 5th to put himself in the championship next week uh, in Phoenix. It was, I mean, not only was it just unbelievable to see that it, that it could actually work out that way, but he did what he had to do and made the passes to get into the championship next week, which will be a four-person you know, person championship run, uh, which will feature Joey Logano, Christopher Bell, Chase Elliott, and now Ross Chastain of Trackhouse Motorsports. So they were kind of an upstart um, team that, that has kind of gotten on the map, and this move has just made it even more unbelievable. But, but hearing uh, Formula One commentators and drivers actually chime in on this has just been, been funny. And of course, now they're going to have to look at this and decide if this is even something that should be legal um, <laughs> or allowed because a lot of racers are are pissed about it. And I get why they might be pissed about it because you're looking around saying, wait a minute, is that could that possibly be legal? And there's nothing that says it's not. He, he just he didn't run on the inside. He ran he on the outside. He just he smashed the right side of his car and put it wide open. And he was going to run into anyone that came in his way, which he did. And one guy got out of the way, obviously in the future just you know for you uh for you nascar you know racer drivers out there just don't get out of the way just you know take the hit from behind and then he can't get by you they're not going that fast it's martinsville for gosh sake yeah I know. um yeah. anyway no but the you know the guy like <laughs> he was just passing people it looked like a video game it was it was it hilarious and uh I, you know I, I just love the fact that it's you know getting so much coverage 
it's it's that old saying hate the game not the player right right if you got an issue with with what he did address it through the rules right uh big news in mls well big rumors in mls i should say right and yeah, gradually they, they feel like a little more than rumors because well, they're, i mean yeah. obviously yeah we haven't we haven't seen the formal announcement but first of all congratulations to the philadelphia union and la uh, lafc who are playing this weekend in los angeles at the mls cup should be a great match uh, playing late afternoon on saturday going sort of sneaking in that window between the early football games and the primetime games so talk let's talk about this news um yeah and whether or not you think it is good for mls I mean, we have the arguably the most well-known footballer in the world messi who plays for uh psg right now in uh, uh Ligue 1 in france but he has been uh in discussion and uh he has an interest right he has an interest in um uh in inter miami that is that is the story that is being circulated. It, and, it has not know. been formally announced at this point, but yes. So he coming seven to MLS. Time, if I'm not mistaken, seven-time Ballon d'Or winner as the uh, I, I best mean, footballer in the world. Yeah, I mean, arguably one of the greatest players ever to play the game. Certainly in the conversation of GOAT. Certainly in the conversation of GOAT. And coming to MLS. And so of all of the great players that have played in, in Europe, um that have come over he's probably top and the and question so, is is that good is that good for mls or is it getting people as they're downsliding and does that say something well i, I, have will, my say, view. I, I will say this yes i believe it's good for the league it's certainly going to be good for inter miami ticket sales i will tell you briefly when i was doing work for the new york red bulls 10 years ago argentina was playing a friendly at metlife stadium they were practicing at Red Bull Arena, and there was almost 20,000 people who came to the practice to see Messi on the pitch. Um, so I, I think he will sell a tremendous number of tickets. Now, I would I would argue that, yes, among the, the great global footballers, you've got David Beckham, who came over after a storied career with Manchester United and some other clubs, Thierry Henry, um, who came over to Red Bulls from uh, a career at Arsenal, Wayne Rooney, mm -hmm. played for DC United, Kaká came over to Orlando City, Blanco came um, to to Chicago Fire and helped them in the beginning when they were uh, uh, just starting out. So yeah, there have been some great footballers who have come, but almost to a person, these these players are coming over after the peaks of their career. Right. And I just, despite the success that Major League Soccer has had, I just don't think they're in a position financially to afford these guys and the transfer fees um, when they're in the ascendancy of their careers. Um, and that's just the, that, that's just the fact of the economics of the sport right now in the United States. Yeah. What? what so I, I'm I'm I think it's very good for the league. I'd love yeah, to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, of course. I, I think it's good for the league overall and it brings more attention. I think the timing with it, with the new deal with Apple. Um, plus coming up next year is a is is the right time to be able to show off a lot of stuff uh, if it indeed ends up happening. Um, so yes, I think overall it is it is good, but the move does need to be, you know, um, you know seeing continued improvement in MLS as that league relates, you know, slots in with the other um, you know, solid leagues around the world, which I, I just don't think they're, you know, they're there yet. Um, 
but we'll see, you know, coming out of World Cup will be another big, you know, kind of bump up in uh, uh, in excitement. So, yeah, no, I, I overall think it's great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ex- excited to see it. I'm excited for what that might mean for uh, for MLS. Uh, I think when you talk about people tuning in more, people going more, uh, people paying attention, obviously, we're, we're going to see a lot of jersey sales um, yeah. for Messi. So um, in the inner Miami, if this indeed happens. Well, hey. it was interesting. You 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 re- you referenced a, a video game when you were talking about Ross Chastain earlier. I mean, you watch Messi on the pitch. You watch some highlight clips. He he, he makes moves that his avatar in, in FIFA can't do. I mean, he's <laughs> just unbelievable. And the other thing I'll say is, you know, I I did have the the great pleasure of watching Thierry Henry play um, mm-hmm. live many times at Red Bull Arena, and he was um, without exception the the best player on the pitch virtually every match that they played. Um, and, and as great as he is, he's he's not nearly as good as, as Messi at the respective points in their career. So it'll be really fascinating to watch him if he does play in MLS next year. Uh, hey, one thing I, I want to add, because we didn't mention this in terms of the championship, we mentioned NWSL wrapped up their season, but the Portland mm-hmm. Thorns won the NWSL. And it's just kind of an exciting, interesting finish given what they went through. Uh, uh, when the Yates report came out and how much of the focus uh, that that particular organization was. So it was nice for the team, uh, I yeah. think, to uh, see them some, see them come through with the championship. Well, you know, uh, hearts of champions um, right. in those women, right? They were able to put aside all of the other nonsense that was going off on in the front office and around them. Um, and once they stepped between the white lines, they they won a championship. So kudos to them. That's, yeah. uh, that's great. And another piece of good news coming out of that right we've talked about the nwsl season and um you know some of the challenges that the teams and the players and jessica berman the commissioner have faced but it was announced during the championship that ally bank is re-signing for five years they've been a huge supporter of women's soccer um and will continue to do so so you know i think i said uh after i saw jessica berman speak at the World Congress of Sports that I was confident that she was going to be able to, you know, right any wrongs that may have happened. I, I think saying right the ship implies that the ship was floundering and it, and it wasn't and it isn't. Um, but she is uh, she is certainly putting it back on a growth trajectory. And and, uh, you know, kudos to, uh, you know, my good friend Mitch Paul, who runs commercial for for the league. I think he's done a tremendous job of bringing in new partners. So I want to give him a shout out as well. Yeah, it's the kind of future that we look at being in this business and just get excited about what could be. Uh, and as the continued growth in the women's game uh, globally uh, occurs, how is that going to be um, marketed um, and commercialized here in the States uh, with opportunities for the teams and the owners and, of course, the, the, the players that are putting it out there? So, yeah, a, a good story to be watching. I think it's a good time to take a break. We have a great guest coming up and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side. All right, it is college day on. Wait, what? Not sure why you didn't wear your Cornell stuff, Tim. I am sporting. I am sporting Wake Forest. So if you made a list of the top sports property sales leaders over the last few decades, John Brody would have to be very high on it. John has held senior positions at a host of leading properties, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, and WWE, as well as serving as president of Global Partnerships at Wasserman. Today, John serves as the Chief Revenue Officer at Learfield, the Clear College multimedia rights leader with nearly 200 schools exclusively 
using their services. So we expect to learn a lot today on the college space. So John, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And Dave, I appreciate you sporting your colors, Learfield School, of course. Um, and McGee, well, you know, McGee. <laughs> All right. We're going to go ahead and jump right in. I want to try to start from a macro level here. So with sure. there's so much change going on in the college uh, sports landscape. Tell us why, in your view, college sports is still a great investment for brand marketers. Uh, and all kidding aside, thank you guys for having me on and giving me the chance to talk a little bit about um, the evolution of collegiate athletics and where we sit as, as Learfield and kind of what I've seen in other stops along the way and what I see here and in the go forward. Um, you know, college sports has this special romantic connection to small towns and big cities, um, to graduates and soon to be to families. It's kind of this romantic connection where you forget how big, how strong and how vibrant the strength of the fan base is. 182 million people in the United States call themselves excuse me, around the world, call themselves collegiate athletic fans. You look at the power of college football, you go back a couple of weeks, the Tennessee-Alabama game um, did double-digit rating. You look at what we're doing in these different schools and what we're doing on the field of play, it's pretty compelling content. And I think if you, any measure, you look at where college is today versus where it was maybe 10, 20 years ago, college is on the rise and college is growing, and college is more part of the water cooler, water cooler talk, the constant banter between a Wake Forest grad and a Cornell grad. It is, it is part of life, and the, the connection people feel to college is just deeper and bigger and, and stronger than any professional sports team, taking nothing away from them. I had the good fortune of um, spending time at, at both baseball and football and the tremendous fan base they have. But bumper stickers belong on the back of cars when you went to that school. Face painting invented on the college campus. Bonfires are not a marketer's idea. They just happen because of the passion of the students, the alumni, and the overall community that is college. You know, I've had the good fortune over the last year to travel all around the country and see this from the biggest of the big to the, the smaller schools. And there is one consistent theme and that is passion. The passion of the students, the student athletes, the alumni, the, the, those that have come before and those who will come in the next generation. And the last thing I'll say about college, which I love and I had absolutely nothing to do with, but we leveraged the heck out of it is, what other brand can you say every single year guaranteed will get younger the demo gets younger every single year and all we have to do is keep having people who are deans of admissions who let kids come in um, if they've earned the right but just think about it in your life um, and in, in where you guys have worked if you could say your fan base gets younger every single year i think that uh, i think that's pretty differentiated so a lot of great things happening in college excited to talk about it over the course of the next hour with you guys Great. So, John, let's, you know, I remember not too long ago, um, collegiate sports were, uh, was a local play, right? Um, and now with the growth of the, the conferences beyond their regional boundaries, right? The Pac-12 goes as far east as 
Colorado, the Big 12 is going to be virtually, you know, coast to coast. Um, is there is there an opportunity for a brand marketer to to take it and drill it down locally, or do they have to look bigger, more regionally, more nationally when they're looking at utilizing coll collegiate sports as a, as a marketing and a sponsorship platform? Yeah, you know, I, I think it starts, Tim, that collegiate sports is local. It starts on the campus. The feeling that you get walking on one campus in one part of the country is very different than walking across the green on a campus in another part of the country. Um, and that's where it starts, right? It starts in that local town and that local rivalry. Maybe it's Iowa versus Iowa State. Maybe it's Florida versus Florida State. But it kind of starts with that rivalry. But the power and the strength of collegiate athletics has grown so much. And fans have been flocking and voting with their feet feet and voting with their their devices and voting by turning the dial to collegiate athletics that it inherently has evolved like sports has evolved when we started in the sports business sports didn't sit at the very epicenter of all things content it does today and college has gone along with that because of the power of the rivalries the power of the passion that people feel and then ultimately this amazing connection and this romantic connection with college campuses so my answer to your question directly is it's local and national because we now have the ability in Learfield you know we have over 180 schools that we represent we can go from east to west from north to south but we can also go school by school and we can give you that rivalry of Michigan versus Ohio State or that rivalry of Wake Forest versus, I guess we'll go Carolina. We'll give you, you know, we'll give you a rivalry there. You'll be happy. Yeah, we we hate them. That's good. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> you, you hate them certainly, but those rivalries matter, right? Duke, North Carolina, all of those rivalries matter. But what's happened, Tim, is actually it's grown, so it has that national footprint now. So it starts local and it's grown national, and the national element to it. As he puts on his he, just, he right. just threw that on. This is gonna be a video right here. I can't believe he just went to there. Be That's true good. to your school. Yeah. Sorry, the, John. The 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 reality is it gives us a chance to deliver for marketers, right? If you want that Iowa versus Iowa State rivalry, we can do that. But if you want to go and have a national platform, you know, Old Dominion's a new partner of ours, they have relationships with a significant number of schools, east, west, north, south. We can deliver that full national solution too. And that is something that we've grown and developed over time and I'm benefiting from as I sit in the chair uh, here in 2022. So with what you've done with the with the uh, example that you just gave there, um, where they are utilizing uh, a number of the, of the individual school brands uh, and they're using mascots, I believe. They are. Um, and you're able to build what amounts to a national campaign. It used to be, well, I can do a number of schools. And now we have a thing called the college football playoff, which obviously has a national platform as well. But I was curious about the other things that you are doing uh, since you've come on board at Learfield to try to create that uh, an actual college kind of national um, hook, like that national intellectual property for college that is more than just the sum of uh, the individual schools that are that are shown in in like in the Old Dominion ads. Yeah, what's fun about this is Tim asked the local question, and you asked the exact opposite question, which shows why you two are so good together, right? You, you, yeah, way to look uh, at it. <laughs> um, but look, candidly, 
there had always been this desire to have a national halo in college. That doesn't mean the rivalries that we just talked about, Tim, don't matter locally. But how do you deliver scale? And how do you deliver for national advertisers who want to take on the national halo that is college sports? How do you deliver for them across multiple screens, across multiple seasons? Another thing that's different about college, we don't we don't just play in the fall. We don't just play in the spring or just play in the winter. We're, we're playing all the time because we have all of these sports, men's and women's, Olympic sports, football, baseball, field hockey, whatever it may be. We have so much to deliver. There was always this yearning on how can you deliver it at scale nationally? And what Learfield has been able to do, and I'm benefiting from, is we've been able to bring together many of the top schools in the country and actually deliver something that is is kind of incorporated across many different types of schools. It may be some of the largest schools, University you know, of Texas. It may be a smaller school like Wake Forest. But all of those different elements can come together in a national platform. And now it's small because it's so academically competitive, David. Let's be honest, right? But the, the, the reality is, yeah, it's academically competitive. Very. Oh, but, I, I, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I mean, you're an alum, so. Um, but but let, let, let's look at it how we can deliver. We can compete now with the Major League Baseballs and NFLs and NBAs and NHLs of the world because we can actually offer a national solution like we have with Old Dominion. And for me, it comes down to can we create ownable assets for them? Can we work with our schools to deliver the scale that they need on a digital platform, through social, now we, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, now we can deliver um, that kind of one-stop shopping with student athletes in their intellectual property, wearing their, their colors proudly. We really have that full solution. So going full circle, we love the rivalry of one school against another, and we can deliver that. But we also love what we can do nationally. And, and what we've done with you know a couple examples beyond Old Dominion with Nissan and Allstate and State Farm, these big brands that are spending significant dollars investing in college sports because of the size of the audience, the opportunity to connect throughout the country, not just in one region or with one conference, it allows them a lot of flexibility. And that's really what we're, we're excited about is how we can be that one-stop shop offering scale and flexibility. John, you've called Learfield the front door to college athletics what what do you mean by that as i just went through all these other elements it's still a little bit complicated in college right it's it, it's developing it's organic it's evolving there are some things that are consistent learfield we just celebrated our 50th anniversary we've been at the center of the collegiate landscape for 50 years we've seen it we've seen it through different times we've seen it through the growth and the ascension. And we're now, we think, uniquely positioned to be able to help you walk through that front door and, and take advantage of these great opportunities and assets throughout college. Some of it may be with student athletes in their proudly displaying their Cornell Red. Some of it may be through programs that we run through digital and social. Some of it may be through the intellectual property and signage and radio. We open that front door and then you have that opportunity to access what you want, how you want to do it. It's kind of the the way I look at how there's been a shift in 
people consuming content. It used to be if you wanted to consume content, you tuned in on your television when it was put on by NBC or CBS or Fox. And that was the power of the broadcaster. In today's world, it's what you want, when you want, where you want, how you want. And it puts a whole heck of a lot more pressure on the power and the scalability of your content. And for us, we think that gives us an advantage because we are so confident in the passion people feel and the connectivity they have to the content that is college, whether it's game day or any day, right? We don't think we're about Saturdays in the fall or March with college basketball. We think what we've seen in our research is fans want to get closer to their schools and the student athletes, learning about what they eat, how they train, what it means to be a student athlete. How do you do that and also compete on the field or on the court? What goes into all of the elements of training and nutrition? What do you do in your off time? What, what video games do you play? We think we can deliver that because of our opening of our front door and our connectivity to schools by being local, right? Every one of our schools on, on the MMR team, on my team, have a local team embedded in the school. So we're a part of that campus culture. We also offer the national overlay, but it starts with that connection to the campus and the athletic department. So that's why we think we're that kind of unique open door to college athletics from east, west, north, south, but also from content to game day to every day and everything in between. I want to talk a little more uh, deeply about name, image, and likeness. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned it a little bit. It's one of the pieces that you're putting. We've read about the Allied Initiative, um, uh, which is which is something that that you guys are pioneering to try to, uh, I guess, standardize this. Uh, I know from personal recent experience that still there is a lot of uh, some degree of challenge on different schools having different programs and, and, you know, how are these things coming together? But take us through a little what you're trying to do uh, with Allied and what this will mean, if not today, tomorrow for brand marketers that really want to uh, get involved, not just with the, with the school colors, uh, but with, uh, with student athletes. Well, a couple things. First of all, it is today. Um, and this, this is the center of what's growing in collegiate athletics right now, the opportunity for brands to connect with student athletes. And Tim, I just answered your question about why are we the front door to college athletics? If you're gonna be the front door to college athletics, you need to be able to curate, you need to be able to solve problems and you need to be able to give guidance and leadership in the space. And we feel that we do that through the Learfield Allied solution that we offer to our school partners and then ultimately delivering to our brand partners. Look, it is complicated. There are different state laws. The state of Texas is very different than the state of Illinois. That's very different than the state of California. And we wanna first make sure that we are helping our schools and our student athlete and their student athletes to understand what all this means, what it means to make sure that you are complying with your state law? How do you safely go about this? How do you get a sense for what the brands may be wanting to do and, and connect if it's the right opportunity for you? Or maybe it isn't. And that's okay too. So we open that front door. We offer Learfield Allied, which is really just a partnership with our schools, which is tying the intellectual property of the school with student athletes 
if student athletes want to participate. We don't represent student athletes. We represent the schools and we proudly fly the flag of, of those schools. That being said, the opportunity to tie a student athlete with the intellectual property of the school is relevant, is extremely desirable for brands because you can you can do different things. It's flexible. You can talk in the voice of the student athlete. You can show the student athlete, whether it's a male or female, in real life, not just what they're doing on a Saturday afternoon or what they're doing in the pool or what they're doing on the court. You can get to know them in a way that's a little bit different. And we think the opportunity to tie intellectual property with student athletes, with content, we think content like anything else is king. We have really spent a lot of time and, and effort tying to trying to create for the marketplace. And we started Learfield Studios, which is basically us going out and saying, we're going to help you create content, short form, long form, everywhere in between at the highest level. We do it with people who are on campus who can be taking footage from iPhones of how you get back and forth to baseball practice or what you eat or how you study. We can also do that to understand better what the relationship between the coach and the student athlete may be or the student athlete or his or her roommate. We just wanna get in there and, and shoot film and, and give content the kind of the opportunity to do what it does in this world where what you want, when you want, where you want, how you want it, we just want to serve it. And we think there's compelling content with student athletes. And, you know, the, the, the answer has been, has been, or the, the question has been answered. You know, we, we've done some really interesting campaigns. You've probably seen what we've done with Nissan um, and their Heisman house campaign, which is a terrific creative campaign. We think we added something pretty compelling this year by putting a current Heisman Trophy winner, who's a current student athlete, Bryce Young, and putting him in his Alabama uniform in that commercial. We think it adds a kind of a, a, a level of levity and a level of professionalism, and it's just different, right? We've done some things with them. We've done some things with many other partners um, that, I can, that I can talk to if we want, but it's about that authenticity and that creativity and the creation of content that's compelling. And the brands are flocking both locally and nationally. As as David mentioned earlier, you, you've spent a good portion of your career with some of the biggest sports, professional sports properties out there, Major League Baseball, the NFL, WWE. How do you compare or, or what's the main difference when you're marketing collegiate athletics and college athletes as compared to professional athletics and professional athletes? Yeah. I I learned a lot in those in those stops along the way, Major League Baseball, NFL, um, and WWE. And, and, and WWE and Major League Baseball are are very different, um, but they are all in the NFL. But they are all professional athletic leagues or or institutions. College is built in what every one of us has felt going to college, or having a parent who went to that school or a sibling who went to that school or a daughter who went to that school. You know, I was just at Michigan this past weekend for the Michigan, Michigan state game. You cannot replicate that in any other place on earth. It's just different. The passion that people feel generation to generation, you don't just say go blue, it's go blue. And it's not a secret handshake. It is beyond that. Everyone emotes when they get on campus and they get closer to that block M. And that's special. 
And that is not unique to Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's unique to collegiate athletics. What, what the professional leagues have done is they try to capture that and they do a great job of it, but they almost use it as marketing material versus it being incredibly pure and, and just part of the culture of college that's different. I, when I said it in the beginning, I, I really think it is relevant. You put the bumper sticker of where you went to school or where your sibling went to school or where your daughter went to school or where your son get, went to school, 10 times out of 10, before you put that on the back of your car at your favorite for your favorite professional sports team, that doesn't mean you don't love them, but it's a different level. And the rivalries are at a different level. Michigan, Michigan State this past weekend, that was a rivalry game. You don't build them. You don't make them. They're real. They're genuine. And they've been generational. And that's just different. It doesn't, it doesn't in any way take away from professional leagues, but you cannot create what is created on college campuses. You know, you mentioned something about siblings and so forth, and it brought to mind that a month or two ago when news broke that Learfield had brokered the first NIL deal for a mascot at Bucknell, which is where my siblings went to school. Tim wanted to know what the payout was and whether there were two people involved in the bison mascot uniform or just one. So can you, can you take us through that deal? And by the way, we, we had a little fun with that because we're like, wait a minute, is that a way not because the bison's getting the NIL deal and that deal is uh, that's an IP of the school. And, you know, so we just want to make sure you were cutting in the play. Yes. Yes. Well, first of all, how fun is that? Right? It's just fun. NIL is supposed to be fun. It's giving different looks at how you market. It's giving brands individualism. And it's bringing these student athletes, or in this case, student athlete mascots, um, to the front of conversations like these. Um, I cannot divulge the details of what went into that opportunity, but we do feel confident um, that there is something that we could build on with there. Cause I don't think the bison are unique in having a mascot that is interested in participating in NIL, but I just love how clever it is. You know, we, we go around the country and we see these different executions and I don't know where NIL will take us. I just know that brands are craving it both locally and nationally. And we want to serve that. Well, that wasn't actually going to be my original question, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to my spot here a second. But no, you'll be glad to know, John, that we actually covered that on the Wait What Show um, a couple months ago. So we did bring it up. But and, I and actually just before you before you ask your question, please, David, please this guys, this is good. had had Bucknell not rejected me, we might be looking at a, a a bison in the background behind me now, and not the big red bear. So just not a big fan of Bucknell for that reason and that reason John, alone. John, like on five episodes, Tim has said, someday I'm going to tell you the story. He's told me in private, by the way, but someday I'll tell you about my recruiting story on the show. So we are going to get to that at some point. Anyway. Well, um, I, I've just I've given away the ending, right? Spoiler alert, I didn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> So I wanted to talk quickly about what what your view, what Learfield's view is on um, on things that are becoming popular sponsorship categories that once were considered a little taboo, sports betting being one of them. Yeah. Where are you guys coming out on that and various other other categories that you're you're starting to see people, you know, putting some revenue in their pockets on? Yeah, look, I, I think 
sports imitates life, right? And as life evolves and technology allows for a lot more inclusion from categories that may be outside the real estate, mortgage, and auto categories, um, you have to watch those and you have to see where there are opportunities. And, and I think then, and, and there's a lot of things, the super majority of the things that came out of the pandemic are, are, are negative, but there are small little things that you can take from the pandemic that may be more positive, but I think it caused us to get more creative. Um, and not just in sports and not just with categories, but overall in how we live, how we work life balance, how we figure out what our background will be when we're on a podcast. All of those things did have to change a little bit with the pandemic. And, and what I think also happened was we learned that there's a lot more ways that you can connect with intellectual property, you can connect with a sports property. I mean, before we even get into the collegiate landscape, look what happened um, in some of the pro sports. They started doing things that weren't contemplated before. Logos on helmets in the NHL, logos on sleeves in Major League Baseball, the logos all around the field in the NFL. In some ways, it, it caused a, uh, a, a progression in some of those areas that may not have been as clearly defined before. For us in the collegiate space, I talk to athletic directors a lot and, and and we need to be open for business. Now we have to be smart and we have to understand that college has a sacred place in the hearts and minds of so many. That being said, we, we need to participate and we need to give the opportunity for brands to find college as a solution, whether it's in the gaming space, whether it's, doing a, a deeper and, and, and more complete job in, in targeting Hollywood and movies, which have come back now. How can we accept that advertising in ways we haven't before? In the sports wagering space, we have, again, as the front door to college athletics, we feel like we have done a lot of the hard work, a lot of the bricklaying and a lot of the foundation to really carefully and correctly bring sports wagering into collegiate athletics in the short term. Um, we have a partnership um, that allows us to make sure we're doing with with um, U.S. integrity. We started a, a joint venture called Bet Detect to make sure if we're going to do sports wagering in the collegiate space, and, and I think we all agree it will happen in the short term rather than the long term, we're going to do it and make sure that it's safe and make sure the athletic departments understand what wagering is going on in their space um, tied to their to their institution whether it's crypto, whether it's CBD, these are categories that collegiate athletics is a great solution for. How do we create the right balance and how do we create the right opportunity for these brands to jump in? And that goes to what we're offering, whether it's local, whether it's regional, whether it's national, it ties to me to finding the right ideas and finding the right balance um, with all these different offerings that we have um, in collegiate athletics, which are very similar to professional athletics. You talked about opportunities. Let's look at the flip side of that coin. There's been dramatic change in collegiate athletics over the last couple of years, primarily in the form of re realignment with the conferences. But, you know, we just read today that the Big 12 just re-signed their, their media rights deal with Fox and ESPN. Um, and so, so there will be a period of, of sort of calm, but then invariably there'll be another period of dynamic change. What are the biggest challenges over the next couple of years as things start to shake out 
as, as you see them from where you sit, John? Yeah, uh, change and evolution is good. So I'll start there. I, I, I really think the opportunity comes from how you embrace change and how you develop plans and you develop programs that not only embrace the change, but give an opportunity for, for brands to access some things that they hadn't been able to access before. You know, the invent of this thing called the mobile phone changed everybody's lives, right? It changed all of our lives. And I think Tim even has one now um, where you can go from <laughs> place to place with a mobile phone. Well, how do you then take advantage of that in the collegiate space or in the sports space? You can wager on that phone. You can check your scores on that phone. You can watch live content on the phone. It gives more flexibility to our fans. How do we take that as an advantage in collegiate athletics and deliver? And that's what Learfield has size and scope to do. If you look all around the country, we can answer the question of, well, what really makes sense for brand X, Y, or Z, whether it's content through Learfield Studios, whether it's opportunities with intellectual property, signage, radio, all of those things. I don't think that changes, Tim, when the landscape maybe moves from left to right, or if the Big 12 is on Fox versus ESPN, people will find it. And it's as powerful as the content and the connection that you have with your school or with that actual event. I mean, I, if you were to say to me, well, man, I'm only going to watch the uh, Georgia Tennessee game this weekend if it's on CBS. No, you aren't. You're going to find it wherever <laughs> it is because that's must see TV and it's must see TV live, which is what makes sports just different. So whether it's an SEC versus a Big Ten or an ACC versus a Big 12, good content, good games, good rivalries, good opportunities for brands, those sell themselves. Right. And that's why the broadcaster pays the schools and the conferences <laughs> instead yeah, of vice versa. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, listen, John, we have covered a lot of ground and we appreciate the time, but we do make our guests sit through two final questions that can be a little rough. So um, I'm just giving you that warning. The first one is... I appreciate it. Let, let me prepare. Okay. You, gonna, the yes, first one fun. is... So I grew up in a small town in Maine. Um, I'm the son of a federal judge. Everyone in my family are lawyers and everyone in my family are lawyers married to lawyers. So when Tim was busy trying to get into Bucknell, I was trying to figure out <laughs> what liberal arts school I was going to go to, which led me to the LSATs to law school. And a funny thing happened on the way to law school. I found that I was really intrigued by uh, brand marketing. And uh, when I graduated from Tufts University, um, I, I joined an advertising agency in New York. I was a part of one of their uh, programs where you go in with 25, 30 other people. And one of my clients um, at Young and Rubicam left his, his job to go become the first chief marketing officer at Major League Baseball. And I would love to say I had a really great plan on how I would get it. I, I just, I got lucky. I was one moment I was marketing Colgate Total Toothpaste, which I loved. And then it transitioned into following a, a former client to Major League Baseball and being part of the group that set up the corporate sales and marketing uh, division there. And, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate that I 
have a chance to speak to a lot of young, um, you know, a lot of young aspiring um, potential sports executives. And I, and I, I talk about how you can't look at this career path as a straight line. If you want to one day be the president of the New York Mets, that doesn't mean you start in the mailroom and you work there for 26 years. And then after your 26th year, you'll be able to be the president of the New York Mets. You have to look at opportunities and take them. And I took a risk and I left a, you know, an advertising job to go to major league baseball. And then from there, um, I got really excited about sports and I got really excited about what I could do to maybe contribute in my kind of in my small way. And I, I would, I would just say anyone who's looking at the sports landscape, what I, the example I always give is what I do and what Theo Epstein did very different. He just happened to work in sports, but he's a general manager. It has nothing to do with what I do, right? I'm a revenue generator. I'm a leader. I'm a sales team um, manager. I, I, I'm a, I'm a brand person, right? That has very little to do with um, following the 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 waiver wire for the for the Chicago Cubs or the Boston Red Sox. So as I look at back at what I did, I didn't take a straight line, um, but I got a I got a lucky start in sports. You touched on a lot of these as you were answering that. Is there anything else specific that you'd like to add to somebody, particularly a young person looking to break into the business, to make sure that? Uh, uh, that they think about uh, before they're jumping in? I also, in life and in your career, I think timing is everything. You have to find the right balance, but you also have to find the right timing. And you have to take risks. If you don't take risks and, and you look at your career as a straight line, I, I, I just don't, I don't think of it. Look at our careers, right? I mean, Tim's been doing this for a while. You know, Dave, you and I, like we've had many stops along the way where we've been able to, kind of collaborate on things. And I didn't know what it was going to take me. I just found opportunity and you have to take opportunity when it comes and timing is everything in life, whether it's in your career or not. And I'm just fortunate that I've had some pretty good timing and I've been fortunate to be taught by, you know, some pretty awesome, awesome leaders along the way. Commissioner Seelig was really influential in my growth and development at Major League Baseball, Tim Brosnan and Bob Dupay. And then all the way through in the other places that I've been, I can tell you that Commissioner Seelig and Vince McMahon, very different type of leaders. But I learned an incredible amount about leadership from both of them. They just go about it in a very different way. So that, I guess, is a, a little bit of a, of a piece of advice, but also kind of how I got from point A to, to point B. Yeah, very, very true, uh, and certainly uh, I would um, I would agree in terms of the the path that we take. But you've also passed that uh, learning along to an awful lot of people, and uh, and so that's much appreciated too. Um, John, really great chat, uh, loved it. Glad we were able to get this scheduled. Um, best of everything to you, and thanks for coming on the show. I was expecting to end with a little joust between the two of you. No verbal banter, nothing. Just McGee's very quiet here at the it, end. I pick my spots. We were little. We were a little moved by your um, your clothes. Uh, I think um, I'm, I'm I'm a tiny bit emotional now, so I, I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure I could even muster that up unless you know Tim wants to instigate something, which he's <laughs> he can do very quickly. I, I, love, I love my, I love, yeah, I'm sorry, John, what? You're probably looking ahead and trying to pick that college 
Cornell College hockey he, schedule, he, which games you're going to go to. Well, we're going to we're going to go see Princeton this weekend down at Princeton. Definitely go to the Harvard game. I'll be up there a few times. Uh, but let me just say that my co-host feigns sincerity as, as as well as anybody I've ever worked with. It, it, John, you, you were insightful. You were articulate. Um, but it didn't elicit emotion. Right. I didn't I didn't get verklempt. Right. Listening to your advice, as David claims to have gotten. I'm, I'm a professional. A more emotional. No, professional. I, I bring my emotion into what I do. And I, you know, when he was talking about his various stops and kind of taking chances, I was hearkening back to my career and things like oh, that. So it, was, so so it was wasn't even about John. It was, it was about, about you. It, was com it was completely selfish. Yes. No You're doubt happy about now, it. John? You got the joust? <laughs> I, I want to get people to emote. We, yes. <laughs> We talked yeah, about I, that. I appreciate the opportunity. There's great things happening at Learfield and Collegiate Athletics. So I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about it a little bit today. Thank you, John. John, was, thank it was you. Great to have you. All right. See you guys soon. Yep. Hope so. Thanks. Thank you again to John Brody. Uh, David, we are so lucky that we have so many friends that have been so successful in the sports industry or willing to come on this show. It's it's great. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to our, <laughs> our guests. We really do. So um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna do a segment that we have done in the past, and I know that you want to do it more often. So hopefully, um, we will be able to do it. This segment features questions that we got on our Twitter feed from my students in the sports marketing class at St. John's University. And uh, so for those uh, professors and educators out there and, and students in sports marketing and sports management, we would love to get your questions. Hit us up on Twitter at, at DP and McGee, and we'll, we'll cover them on a, a future episode. Is there something you'd like to know? Let's let's go through a couple, David, if you don't mind. I'll start. Here's from uh, Yavi. He said, hi, Professor, just watched episode 41 of your latest podcast. My question is, since you watched the game of pickleball and thought it was eh, do you think it is something you will try in the future since it's one of the fastest growing sports in America? Now, David, when I saw the name, uh, I didn't know what the question was going to be. I did pick that question at random, but Javi. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. Um, here's the answer is yes. I'd be willing to, to try the sport. Um, I'm always up for uh, a competition of, of any kind. So yes, I would play the sport. What about yourself? David? Well, I definitely would play it. And um, I think the the question has never been really about um, playing it versus uh, investing in it or kind of, you know, in, as a sponsor or something. So I think those are the things where the jury is way, way out. Um, here's a question from Aiden Godberson, yep. um, which is more of a, a personal one, which I thought was kind of interesting. I assume that your career path in sports came from a passion for sports. With that being said, was there ever a phase in your career where the workload was difficult or stressful? and made you fall out of love with sports? The answer to the main part of the question is absolutely not, no. But this is a business where um, if you have some success, you are going to work weekends, you are going to work nights because that's when people watch these events. So if you're working on any side of the business, it is going to be consuming. During my uh, early times at uh, McDonald's, I had my second child on the way and I was on the road a lot. Um, there's part of that that I wish I some time I had 
had that, if I'm being honest. Uh, but it never made me not love what I was doing and the passion that I had, not just for sports, but for the business of sports and the matching of, of you know, of, of doing great brand programs utilizing sports. So uh, I think that um, while it, it can get stressful, never fell out of love for what I was doing and for sports. Yeah. And, and what I would say is I agree with you. I feel the same way. Um, but once you do get in this industry, um, you look at sports as a as a spectator you never watch a sporting event the same way as you did before you got into the industry. I tell people I've been doing this 25 plus years. There's been two occasions, two, where I have been able to get so um, entrenched in a game and so deeply involved in a game, I forgot that I was a sports marketer. Uh, one was game seven of the 2003 ALCS, Aaron F. Boone hitting that home run to beat the uh, Red Sox to to keep the uh, the curse of the Bambino going for one more year. And the second time was the 2005 uh, Rose Bowl, where uh, many people call it the greatest college football game of all times, uh, of all time, where Vince Young and University of Texas beat uh, Matt Leinart, uh, Londell White, and, uh, and, and uh, Reggie Bush in USC. Uh, and being at that game in the Rose Bowl, surrounded by all those people, I sort of forgot I was in the sports industry. But otherwise, you you, you look at it differently, right? You just because of what we do for a living. Um, so let's take another one. Um, here's, here's a question. It said, I just got finished watching episode 34 of your broadcast. Do you agree with your guest speaker, Mike McCann? That's Mike McCann, the lawyer, not Mike McCann the sponsorship guy from Amazon, just for clarity's sake. Um, they both went to Georgetown since this is college day, though. Yeah, so, so do, you, do you agree with your guest speaker, Mike McCann, that the government and Congress should step in and get involved with the NCAA in regards to name, image, and likeness, or should this be an NCAA-handled issue? Um, you know, interesting, we just got through talking about that a little bit with, with John, how different states have different laws and regulations. So the ideal way to handle it would be if there were federal laws that leveled the playing field across all 50 states um, so that no program, simply by virtue of what state they were located in, would have some sort of recruiting advantage over another program. Now, whether or not we'll ever see that, I don't know. Um, but that I think would be the ideal solution. Yeah. I, I think where Mike was coming from on the show that is, you know, Congress has had its shot and they've done a lot of press conferences and so forth and made a lot of news, but haven't really acted when it really should have been the NCAA trying to put something together. And they just had, didn't lead on this where I think it will end up happening is, is there will be a concerted effort between these kind of growing super conferences, um, to try to stabilize things, uh, and see if they can, uh, create some standardization that um, or, that can kind of work across a number of states uh, based on, you know, what will still be differing state laws. Uh, so there's some more consistency, and that'll certainly help from a, um, from a brand standpoint trying to get involved. Uh, let's take uh, one more. Uh, this is a question. I love this uh, from Mason Kim with the handle of Mace the A17. Love that. In episode 27 of the podcast with guest Adam Zimmerman of the Atlanta Braves, during the MLB lockout, how are teams not including the popular ones able to market to fans without having player likeness? So you recall there was a lockout. Teams weren't able to use uh, likeness. Um, the question goes on. Sure, there are loyal fans, but how they get people uh, in the escalator preseason? Um, I think that's actually a great question. We covered it a little bit with Adam when we were on because that was a challenge. Sports are played by 
athletes. Um, and they weren't able to use them during that time when they were trying to uh, market a season with the hopes, obviously, that the season would ultimately occur, which it did. Um, but that's where that's where brand marketers really have to step up and they have to rely on the things that uh, that that the, the past Braves, uh, those marks, the traditions that they have uh, in stadium, the new ones that they're creating uh, in their new stadium um, and and play to the heritage that the uh, club has had within that market. Um, and communicate, communicate with fans on, uh, on offers, uh, on, um, uh, you know, other merch that may not feature the player. So that's to me what it is. A lot of brands had to deal with this in COVID and just certain things that you couldn't do, but, but those that were able to continue to communicate, uh, on a level with the tools that they had, I think were ones that, that, uh, can come out of those things strong. Yeah, and just just to clarify what what Mason was referring to when he talked about the escalator, it's a concept that we teach in the class, um, the frequency escalator that was actually created by the authors of our textbook, the original authors, uh, industry legends Bill Sutton and and Bernie Mullen, and um, it, it it relates to the the uh, concept of getting fans up an escalator from being a non-user of the sports product, you know, i.e. a ticket buyer up the escalator to eventually hopefully become a heavy user. So thanks for that question, Mason. So we've come to that point in the show, David, where we're going to say uh, thank you again to our guest, John Brody. Um, but before we fully end it, what are you looking forward to over the next couple of weeks? Well, obviously there's a, a lot of fun stuff to follow, uh, continuation of the World Series. Um, a team that I grew up following, the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, and their fan base has just been incredible, but so have the Houston Astros. I think that's one of the great stories of the World Series. It's just this, this rabidity of these two uh, fan bases. Uh, where the television ratings net out, we will see. They started off pretty strong, though. Um, uh, and uh, we have the championship in NASCAR coming up from Phoenix, but I'm getting a visitor this week, and that's the thing I'm most exciting about. My my grandson, Jamie, is taking his first flight, and he's visiting us in New York, and I uh, can't wait to see him uh, with uh, with his mom and dad. So that is, that's the main thing on my agenda this week. Wow. Impossible for me to top that. So that sounds fantastic. But in case you're interested, (laughs) 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 I'm going to be watching the fallout from the Michigan State, Michigan fight attack is probably a better term that happened in the tunnel after the game. Um, To Michigan State's credit, they immediately suspended a number of the players. Uh, Jim Harbaugh doesn't think that's enough. He doesn't think apologies are enough. There are actually... Um, some law enforcement agencies involved, and we'll see if there's uh, any criminal charges that come out of the attack of the Michigan State players on a on a Michigan player in the tunnel after the the game. I, I thought it was fascinating that Harbaugh came out as strongly as he did, as quickly as he did, and call for that type of uh, to action. I, I just, I guess, I I didn't expect it, but if you look at the incident, it certainly would brutal. suggest yeah. that uh, that that something along those lines should take place. Yeah. And before we sign up, just one quick shout out to my friends at AT AT&T, my former colleagues, Sports Innovation Lab just listed the most innovative sponsors and AT&T was in the top five. So congratulations to Mike Hovey, Jamie Kerr, Bill Mosley and the rest of the team down in Dallas and Atlanta. Congratulations. You guys continue to crush it when it comes to sponsorships. So uh, thank you. 
to our listeners. Um, we really appreciate the feedback and the comments we get. I don't think a week goes by where David or I don't hear from somebody who talks about something they heard or something they learned or something they enjoyed on the podcast. So we really do appreciate that. Please feel free to share. Feel free to comment. Until next week, he's DP, I'm McGee, and we'll speak then. Thanks. Thanks.